comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're taking it back? Is that how you really feel? Well, how do you feel? Hi. I'm Prince. So what seems to be the problem? Oh, how rude of me. I haven't given you enough time to freak out yet. You may do so now. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Every time Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to A Half Hour Wasted. Tonight's episode, it's elementary, dear Frank. I do say, I'm very impressed. I am doing my imitation of Dr. Watson. This is my Dr. Watson imitation. Hey, how are you? I don't think Dr. Watson has a cleft palate. Goodness gracious. <laughs> wow. That could be oh. wrong. Oh, no. Somebody's going to get an email. Oh, come on. You're finally getting your wish, Bill. You're getting your email. <laughs> Welcome to episode 358. Woo! Yes. So how about you guys? I'm pretty glad to hear that the... Uh, the rumors, the rumors, the plot line of the new Fantastic Four movie directed by Josh Trank uh-huh. are apparently false. That's very good. No, I haven't heard these rumors. Good. Share okay. them with us. What, what was the rumor? Uh, the, they, they had a rumor. It was going to be more uh, Ultimate FF type of thing based. Um, but the uh, uh, the rumor was that uh, um, Ben and Reed are best friends. We already knew that. And then something happens to them, which turns them into Mr. Fantastic and the thing respectively. Right. But Sue storm and Johnny storm don't add into the story until later. I'm not okay. sure exactly how they get their powers. They got the powers already. Do they, do they come with their powers? Do they get them thanks to more experimentation. We don't know. Um, and this doesn't bother me one stinking bit, uh, depending on who they cast for Sue. But, uh, one of the, uh, uh, one of the rumors was that they're going to cast a, uh, fellow, of uh, of some African descent uh, in the role of Johnny Storm, and on the surface, you know, who cares? You know, I mean, you had a black kingpin. Who cares? You know, you can do that kind of stuff. It's a movie. It's not a big deal. Um, but you know, you can't do that and then cast you know his sister. Then cast a white you know then cast freaking Jessica Alba as his sister or whatever. You know. So what if no, they were? Who cares? What if they were uh, adopted? Adopted or half siblings? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely, understand the absolutely. thing. I mean, there's some things you just don't want to mess with. I mean, that's like making, you know, uh, P- 
Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man because he was bitten by a genetically altered spider yeah. instead of a radiated, yeah. radiated spider. Well, that's just you know that's just a product of the times we're living in. You know, um, I was all good with that. Speaking of Fantastic Four on a comic book related, we're actually going to talk comic books here for yeah. just a moment. So, Bo, you're nice enough to lend me some comic books. So recently, I've read Thanos's Quest, which is how we got the Infinity Gauntlet. Yes. Infinity Gauntlet. Yes. Um, Infinity War. Infinity War, which and... I have loved all of them, and right now I am on Infinity Crusade. Yeah. Probably finish it this weekend. Great story arc. Love it. I have to say, Sue Storm's costume in Infinity Crusade. Okay. I'm trying to remember. Kind of. Kinda. Is that the one that's... Was it kind of skeezy? That's barely there? <laughs> yes. It's... They it's, call it... It's almost a bikini with boots. Basically what it is, it's, it's her Saturn Girl costume, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow. It's like a, a, a almost a bikini top with a hole in the middle right. for the... And it's a cutout of the number four. Yeah. So you can see um, some cleavage and then some boots that go up to the thighs. And also, Ben Grimm, the thing, is wearing a helmet. Yes. I had to look up why he was wearing a helmet because Wolverine had scarred him. Really? He had a big scratch on his head. But so uh, the <laughs> thing is wearing like a bucket over his head. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. It's Yeah. Welcome to the 90s is what that is. <laughs> yeah. That's just... That's just Weird for the sake of weird, and it's hard to believe that uh, you know the comic companies almost collapsed while they're uh, foisting that stuff on their uh, populace. I I would be very interested to find somebody who, and there's going to be plenty of people out there, people who you know kind of that was their that was their coming of age was right. reading you know was was in the early 90s you know you know kids who were born in the you know late 70s you know around 1980 you know they're going to be reading comics that are coming out in the early 90s and you know that's kind of what they grew up on, so they're not going to know any better, and I feel bad for them. But for anybody else, you know, who was already an adult or hadn't gotten into them yet or whatever, you know, through those early mid nineties, be interesting to know what, you know, does anybody out there have a truly favorable opinion of what happened to comics and characters? I mean, just the whole thing, you know, tricking everybody's costumes up and, and, you know, Well, I mean, uh, like you said, it's a sign of time. It's where you grew up. It's where things yeah. were, whether it was good or bad. That's where, but all of, but all of a sudden, you know, you're, you know, comic speculators are getting into the business. And you're selling 7 million copies of one single issue. And, you know, you've got, you know, everything has to be, you know, it's a foil insert, you know, what are you doing? Sage, on, brother. Sage is going to play. On, dude. I can't you going to play Minecraft in here while we're talking? All righty. Sage was giving us a primer on Minecraft a little while ago. How's it working for you? Have you defeated all the undead zombies? Nothing has gotten Are you playing survival or builder or whatever that is? Creative. Creative? You're playing creative? I'm playing creative. Fantastic. Don't, don't stifle his creativity. I don't want to. <clears throat> so, Brad, you came across an article about the origin of the word of the term spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I did. It was on. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It's a real quick read, and that'll bring us into talking about something that we'll need to give a spoiler alert for. Yeah. Um, it was on BuzzFeed. <clears throat> it was one of uh, this was, however, is not a listicle like uh, right. like Bill mentioned. Um, Giggle. Uh. It was an article about the spoiler alert. Where where did the term start, and why are we so obsessed with not spoiling things? And then the tagline is, warning, this article spoils everything. <laughs> um, 
here's a quote. Uh, if you have not seen Million Dollar Baby and know nothing about the plot, read no further, wrote, right. wrote Roger Ebert in 2005. It was a sentence elegant in its style and inelegant in its complexity. What the Chicago Sun-Times film critic meant by those 18 words could have been communicated in only two. Spoiler alert. When did the conditional clauses of the past condense to two words? In the same 2005 column, Ebert ventured a vague history. A few years ago, this is him talking, I began to notice spoiler warnings on web-based movie reviews, a shorthand way of informing the reader that a key plot point was about to be revealed. Philip B. Corbett of the New York Times wrote in 2013 that the, quote, colloquial, even cutesy phrase became popular some years back, noting in a graph that the Times first used it in the early aughts. Excellent. Uh, not coincidentally, TiVo, the DVR company, released its first commercial product in 1999, making it easier for shows to watch shows, making it easier to watch shows after their original airtime, and easier for people watching on their own schedule to be offended by the spoilers. Now, what what year was the TiVo thing? <laughs> 99. Okay. The spoiler alerts apparent first time in print in in the New York Times was for a plot development in the in a television show. And in the article, it was all capitalized in parentheses as spoiler alert. Nice. Um, I'm clicking on the link, and it is a it is a television review. Oh well, the internet uh, taking a while. Oh, um, it was for a television show called Dog Eat Dog. <laughs> I don't uh, remember that show. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. But this was this was back in the uh, '02. Um. Google Trends displays negligible searches for the term spoiler alert in January 27. The numbers after that begin to after that then begin to climb. Notably, 2007 is also the year the word streaming became a significant search term and the year Hulu was founded. In other words, the year it became easier and more legal than ever to watch TV shows on your own schedule. Ebert himself seemed to favor the term spoiler warning, although he apparently used the term spoiler alert in 2001 with an exclamation point, no less. <laughs> so sometime back in the early 2000s is when that started. And the art, the, the article suggests it was either Ebert back in 2001 or the New York times in 2002. I just thought that was interesting because I never did sit and think, well, where did that term come from? It just kind of happened. Yeah. Like many terms, but we're all obsessed with the term spoiler alert and, mm -hmm. and not being spoiled by things. But I just think it's interesting to think about where that actually came from. Somebody actually had to come up with the idea of first and, and, and earlier the term spoiler. Don't, don't right. spoil that for me. That is a – the concept of that is a spoiler. And then somebody who was aware of the spoiler – wanted to tell somebody something, so they came up with the phrase, spoiler alert, like, I'm about to... I just think it's interesting to think of who thought who thought of that and why they thought of that. And why it took right about now to become, or 10 years ago, to become yeah. what it is, because we've always had spoilers. I mean, I mean, you know, even with movies, people who hadn't seen movies in the 60s or 70s, you know, oh, don't tell me about the movie because I'm going to see it next week. You know, and then, of course, we had VCRs and you could have easily like, oh, I recorded it, but I'm not going to watch that show till later on. So don't spoil it for me. But it, I kind of agree with the TiVo and the streaming thing. That's really where it became like 
because it's so immediate to watch things these days mm-hmm. that you can just watch it wh- when you want, and, and no matter what it is. Let me read a couple of other things here. A, a search of Google's Usenet archives shows the term spoiler in use throughout the 90s, uh, while the term, oh, the term spoiler alert, alert in use throughout the 90s, while the term spoiler shows up as at least as early as 1981. At the beginning of 2013, Lake Superior State University put the phrase spoiler alert on its annual list of words to be banished from the Queen's English for misuse, overuse, and general uselessness. So they're saying that they wanted spoiler alert banished? Yeah. (laughs) Matt Zoller cites television critic at New York Magazine and editor-in-chief of RogerEbert.com told BuzzFeed that he despises the phrase. It feels like it's been a part of our collective life since the dawn of time. I just hate it. It sounds like something a character in the movie Clueless would say. Despite his dislike of the term, he wrestles with the concept professionally and vividly remembers his first spoiler experience. It was May of 1983. Sites was in the eighth grade. Return of the Jedi had just come out, and a friend from school who read the novelization came up to him. He said, I can't believe Luke and Leia are brother and sister. And I hit him in the stomach for saying that. <laughs> so, there, there's an episode of well, The Simpsons that takes place in the 80s where they're walking out of uh, Empire, Homer, and Marge, and Homer walking past the line and people goes, wow, I can't believe that Vader is Luke's dad. He says it out loud. And everyone goes, oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Oh, I remember being spoiled of my own accord, my own. Mm-hmm. I did it myself of that uh, very same revelation plus confirmation of whether Luke was Vader's son or not. Mm-hmm. Um, in the eighth grade, I got the, do you remember those movie storybooks? of the Star Wars movies that were like eight and a half by 11, maybe even bigger. They had like, they were full color pages and they, of, of, uh, pictures from the movie and they had text. Oh yeah. Yeah. Remember those picture book? Yeah. They were called movie storybooks. Well, I got that one from a scholastic book, (laughs) book order form. Yeah. And I read it before the movie ever came out. And so I, I spoiled it. So I going in the movie, I knew what to expect, but yeah, it was, I remember that. My biggest, my biggest spoil was of my own creation, too. It was when uh, we were still waiting for Attack of the Clones to come out. Right. And I was at a Barnes & Noble a good week before the movie was supposed to come out. They had the comic book novelization. Ah, you couldn't resist. And our good friend Lawson, yeah. I walked out of the Barnes & Noble drumming my fingers. <laughs> and, I called up, and I called up Lawson and I go... They have the novelization here. I can look at it and see what's going to go. And Lawson's just like, do whatever you want, man. I don't care. <laughs> I ended up, I ended up, I'm pretty sure I ended up driving away, turning around, uh, coming back, and wait. reading it. So I wait. found out, I found out how it was going to end and what the storyline was going to be. One of my. For, for Attack of the Clones. Because I was so excited about wow. it. No, I'm just uh, the, the idea of actually looking at that novelization. Just I can't, I can't stand it. It's I mean, everyone was just so excited. It's just like it's here, and and I can know yeah. what happens. And well, I was spoiled. We all were. I mean, unintentionally, uh, in one of the biggest plot points of episode one, Qui Gon's okay. death. Oh, because the soundtrack, <laughs> yeah. of the movie, one of the track listings was "Death of Qui Gon Jinn." I'm I like, know. what? And of course, they release it before the movie comes out. So, Son of anyway, they could have named it anything else. They could have named it Qui Gon's tragic name. loss or yeah. something like that. They could be Wan's tragic loss. Yeah. yeah. 
Old man says goodbye, or I don't know. Yeah. Liam or Neeson does something. Neeson's. <laughs> you Neeson. like the Neeson's. Um, but we brought up the spoiler alert issue because we want to talk about something very spoiler alert if you haven't been keeping up. I think by the time this show has come out, all three episodes has already aired. So the season should be over. Of Sherlock, Sherlock. season three. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know and have never seen it, you're missing one of the greatest TV oh, shows ever. Gosh, so good. Seriously. Uh, you so, know who one of the co-creators are? Who? His name is Steve Moffat. Moffat. Stephen Moffat. Of, uh, c- also the creator of the revamped Doctor well, Who. Uh, no, no, no. He was... Uh, um, he came in and started writing episodes for them, mm-hmm. and then he took over the showrunner. Okay. Uh, he took over the showrunner from Russell T. Davies. Uh, Russell T. Davies, Doctor Who? Russell T. Davies is the guy that gets credit for uh, restarting gotcha. Doctor okay. Who. Thank you. And uh, he, Russell T. Davies was also responsible for uh, uh, Torchwood. Mm. And then uh, it was weird. He was, he was working with Torchwood. Uh, Torchwood had a real odd release schedule. They did one season pretty traditionally, and their second season was I'm trying to remember what it was. Like uh, that, five episodes. Then yeah, the, then the third episode was the uh, what the season of men or the children of men episode or what or series whatever you want to call it. It was five episodes, and it was the day that it was the day that they woke up and nobody on earth was dying anymore. And I've never seen it. Uh, it's on Netflix streaming. I started is. watching yes. it. Uh, uh, Torchwood was very dark. Yeah, it's, it's very dark. It's five two-hour episodes, and when they aired them here in America, uh, they aired them uh, Monday through Friday on BBC America, if I remember right. And that was it. Hmm. Um, I think it was five. I think it was five two-hour episodes. Maybe it was just four. Um, but yeah, they just aired them. Boom! And I like didn't watch the first night, and I'm like, I'm already too far behind to catch up. And so I literally to this day I've never watched them. But Torchwood was one of those that I really I want it to be great. Because I thought uh, the addition of Captain Jack Hawkness yes. to the uh, to the Doctor Who uh, uh, menagerie mm-hmm. uh, was great. The episodes he was in were awesome, Agreed. and they were action packed and epic in scope, and lots of danger and lots of thrills. And uh, uh, then when he went to start his own thing, I thought this is going to be cool. And it turns out that well, it's a different recipe to do a Doctor Who episode with. Which I thought was much more bitter, very X Files ish, very scary, very X Files ish. Yeah, mean, I just I had a hard time with the actors in that mm-hmm. series and the motivations. And just I, I just as I watched I watched Torchwood the first season and thought, okay, you know, it's I didn't, this episode kind of was kind of lame, but yeah, next week will be better. And yeah, it was pretty up and down that first season. And that second season, I'm trying to remember what happened the second season. Um, but by the time they came with that third season, uh, Russell T. Davies had given up uh, Doctor Who. Uh, I, I thought at the time basically to concentrate on Torchwood, and then there were like five more episodes of Torchwood ever. Period. Done. So I don't know if that's one of those where uh, uh, I don't know if Russell Davies was just tired of the grind or wanted to move on to new pastures or was shown the door or uh, personally I thought uh, uh, I. I appreciated Russell Davies bringing the show back, but I wasn't always 100% on board with the way he did episodes. I went, the, the first episodes of Stephen Moffat uh, wrote, I immediately latched onto it and said, oh, this is good stuff. 
the uh, the episode at the, on the library planet. It was a two parter. Yeah, it was the first one where we meet River Song. Yeah, uh, uh, I thought those uh, uh, those episodes were really good. They're pretty dark too, but but there's a lightheartedness that you can still kind of like. It, it's a it's a different type of dark. Yeah. Uh, so I thought uh, I started uh, uh, following the Stephen Moffat episodes even more closely than the other episodes. And when it was announced he was going to be the showrunner, it's like, oh, this is a good thing. And so I think it has been. I'm very happy with it. Cool. Oh, well, so we're all caught up on on Sherlock then, right? At least the first episode. Yeah. Did you ever quite finish the first episode, Bill? Uh, I tried uh, three times last week. I and rolled on it, and I fell asleep before the end of it all three Fell asleep? Times. Okay. Not that you were bored with it, but you just fell asleep. I did that with Speed Racer, too. <laughs> I had to watch Speed Racer. It was a fourth time before I finally got all the way to the end of it. And I've done that with uh, Game of Thrones episodes. I've done that with I've done that with all sorts of great media. How far did you get into the episode? Uh, over halfway. Okay, so we can at least talk about the first five minutes, which oh, you know what? made me angry. The Did first five minutes, <laughs> I was pissed off because I thought if this is how he did what he did to not like to fool everybody. Spoiler alert! Yeah, we're going to talk about it. This is episode I, one of season three of Sherlock. I was right. watching it by myself, but I kind of looked across the room, hoping that there'd be somebody else that we could like make eye contact, and I could just go, "What?" the hell is going on here so we get an explanation as to how sherlock survived his death the, had survived the Reichenbach. what i didn't like right. is he basically uh that scene was basically you're turning him into james freaking bond yeah. or yes. chuck but it yes. turns out that it was only somebody's speculation right there's yep. an organization called the empty hearst which is a fan club of sherlock holmes right and so they never thought he was dead it's well, just nerdy fans, and they all had their theories, and this was one of the guy's theories. Well, the thing that was interesting, though, was you don't know anything about the Empty, the empty Hearst Club at this time. Right. He's, he's uh, spouting this to the, uh, the, the lieutenant uh-huh. who's worked with the doctor, who's worked with the doctor, who's worked with Sherlock, uh, the, the, silver-haired, uh, the silver-haired gentleman. Yeah. Uh, and so he's explained it to him, and apparently this guy is what? An informant of some sort? Uh, I think he I worked in criminal. Uh, he was in in. Um, he was a CSI guy, and he had to leave okay. because he became obsessed with Lestrade. With yeah, Lestrade is the silver-haired Thank inspector. You, yes. Yes. Lestrade. Um, but yeah, I thought it was odd. The I was trying to figure out what the relationship was between the dude with the crazy uh, theories and Lestrade because clearly There's, this guy had had once been like a member of good standing of the police force in some capacity. Yeah, his name is Philip. Anderson, that's the character's name. Okay. And I'm going to bring up his little bio here. Um, Worked with the forensics department of Scotland Yard, devastated by his own continue, uh, his own contrib, uh, contrib, con- contribution to the downfall of Sherlock. He became obsessed with the detective's apparent death. And that is one of those where I kind of wish I'd gone back and watched the final episode of season two. Again, I've seen it a couple times, uh, but I didn't remember this Anderson guy uh, being a, a big player in it. I don't, I think the, I don't remember seeing him in okay. episode, so he just, in season two at all. Kind of, he was part of the police force where they were doing the whole, you know, 
Before the Die Hard Three started, thing to Sherlock, and he's run all over the place doing things. Before season three started, there was a like a seven minute mini episode called Many Happy Returns because it aired during Christmas time or New Year's, and uh, he was in that explaining. Okay, see, because I did not watch that. He was explaining to Lestrade his reasons for thinking Sherlock was still alive. Okay, and uh, I mean it was it was in, it was nice. It was like a little preview of what you know. You know the. The British are really good about doing little webisodes yeah. that connect things. There was actually, uh, going back to Doctor Who, but still part of the whole Moffat thing, um, there's a new Doctor called the War Doctor, but we don't we don't quite really know where he fits in it. They did a webisode that kind of explains how he fits into things, and you have to seek oh. that out. That is, not, that is not part of the, uh, well, it's part of the canon now, but. If you just watch the shows on the air, right. you never know about it. You have to go and seek it out. And it's well, I, mean, I it's thought they did a pretty good job of explaining the whole concept of the War Doctor during the Day of the Doctor. Well, um, also, they explain how the Eighth Doctor became the War Doctor. That's, that's the connection that we never got oh, on screen. Really? Yeah. So Paul McGann, mm-hmm. little used Paul McGann. Yeah, he comes back. Interesting. Yeah. I always thought uh, he, got kind of, uh, he got kind of hosed. Because I sat there, man, I was there that night in 1996 when Fox aired the Doctor Who episode I was there too. in America. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is great. And then it turned out that Eric Roberts was the bad guy. I was like, oh, mm. not a good sign. No, it's not a good sign. Mm. And sure enough, the episode was, uh, it was limp, I think. Maybe we'd say mm. it was limp. Uh, which is a shame for somebody who'd waited for almost a decade for a new episode. <laughs> What's guess- the runtime on our episode so far? Oh, so far? Okay. Good. I'm going to have to leave. What time do you have to leave, bro? Uh, 12.15 at the latest. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's focus up on... Uh... Um, so at the end of season one, by the... Uh, uh, pardon me. By the end of episode one of season three, we we got four or five different explanations of how he cheated death and, and actually survived the fall. Right. But the question remains, did we actually get the truth? The last explanation... And this makes, might be spoiler for you, Bill, but... Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, probably that was the truth. And I read an art, And he was telling somebody... At, actually, he was telling that that guy we were just talking about with the facial hair and the, okay. fan, and the yeah. fan club guy. But um, he was explaining to that guy how he really did it. And that guy goes, well, that makes sense, but why would you be telling me the truth... You know that sounds too simple, and it's kind of boring, and and uh, and so at the end of the episode, you're you're left with thinking, well, did we really find out how he did it? Because gotcha. there was all these different explanations. I read an article where the guy involved with the show said that that was actually the way it happened, mm-hmm. but when you watch the episode, you're still not a hundred percent sure. There's so many moving parts in that final explanation. Not as moving as the as the other explanations, but it's it's hard to believe that Sherlock would work with that many people. But well, he says he has a network of homeless people that he works with. Yeah. See, I had a much bigger issue with the whole concept that uh, uh, when they first show him in present day, quote unquote, uh, you know, he's basically getting the uh, the James Bond die of the day treatment. He's basically been abducted by the North Koreans and is being tortured for information. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he escapes. And uh, um, they're, 
I went back. I've watched this three or four times now, and this may be my favorite single passage in the seven Sherlock Holmes episodes we've gotten so far. Um, Mycroft is the one. Spoiler alert. Mycroft is the one who freaking gets him out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> and that was amazing. And, that, and who's that Mycroft, scene, by the way? His, his older brother. Yeah. That scene that he and Mycroft have in, in 221B Baker Street. Um, it's just, it's a one-on-one. It's my dinner with Andre, but it's Sherlock Holmes and his older brother, Mycroft. It is amazing. It's, it's nothing but talking. It's nothing but dialogue and exposite character development. But I just, I could not, I could not stop watching that scene. It yeah. was amazing. The writing the, on the show The whole idea awesome. that, that uh, Sherlock reveals that uh, when they were both boys, he and Mycroft, Sherlock thought he was stupid, like borderline retarded, because Mycroft told him he was. And it turns out... That Sherlock that that Mycroft is that much smarter than Sherlock Holmes. That that to Mycroft Sherlock is slow, i.e., borderline retarded. Right, and it's amazing. And it but the character development you get that Holmes, you know, we're not we're not homogenizing Holmes's character a la Next Generation, you know, kind of thing. Um, but we start to realize that Sherlock, you. You start to really get how Sherlock's character arc is, in fact, developing. I mean, you see him as this kind of very detached, you know, almost inhuman character uh, who really doesn't have time for other people. But you start to realize, especially in that scene, um, how Sherlock's connection to the people that he cares about um, is a lot less tenuous than he would kind of have you believe with his mannerisms and the way he treats people. Now, that... That's slightly ironic, considering what he did to Watson. At the end of season three, and I've seen all three episodes. Okay, no, I haven't. They take that further. That's fantastic. He, that part of his character progresses even more. <laughs> yeah. And, and the yeah. second episode of season three is my favorite of all of them. Awesome. And the end of season three makes me incredibly happy. They um, There was a special on PBS called Exploring Sherlock, and it was about... Uh, a one-hour documentary about the characters and the development and stuff, and they and they showed just how true they are staying to the Sherlock Holmes character in the books. They are modernizing it, Good. of course. They are changing things so it doesn't seem dated. But from a character development point, you're pretty much getting what Arthur, what the author uh, Arthur Conan Doyle wanted you. To see. Yeah, I just and it is amazing because you know there is a lot of there's a lot of of duration left in his character arc. He's a long ways away from point B um, because at the beginning of this episode, um, you think to yourself, okay, so he's the world has thought he him dead for two years now. Yeah, and we didn't. It took us a while to realize that it's been two years. And uh, oh gosh, yeah, but he gets broken out of jail. He comes back, and basically, uh, Mycroft says, "I'm breaking you out because it's time to go back to work." Yeah, you know the the you know the 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 Queen's homeland is in danger. It's time for you to come back, and you know. And we find out why he faked his death because he's been trying to dismantle Moriarty's network. Yes, of criminal organization. Which do we think that uh, well, Moriarty is dead? I shall not comment. Because I've seen the entirety of season three, I don't. I don't think that we should assume blindly that he's. It dead. sure looked like he blew his brains out. It sure looked like he blew his brains. Yeah, out. Yeah, it's also sure looked like yeah. Sherlock, you know, jumped yeah. off. Yeah. Now, the the one problem we have here, 
and this is one thing that crept through my head a couple times while I was watching the episode for the third time, I think, was that uh, they, they've jumped the shark in one respect. There is no way in heck I will ever believe that they've actually killed off his character at, from, from here on out. Who? Sherlock? Sherlock, or actually Moriarty, or, or almost well, at anybody. At the end of season two, episode three... We know that Sherlock was still, in fact, alive because he's watching. Yes, he's home. watching he's, the last yeah. scene he's you watching, see. Is you know he's alive. He's watching John right. at his grave. Yes, yes, but but they but they've gone through. They've been over so far backwards to figure out how uh, how his uh, how his his death was actually not a death. That uh, I just I don't know. I, I'm certainly not going to believe on the surface that. that they've killed off any of these characters sure. from here on out. So, you know, that for better or for worse. In the in the in the series of books, he uh Arthur Colin Doyle tried to kill him off. It's and actually Conan not Colin. Yeah. Colin Doyle. I would like to make that uh clear to the audience. So Colin, he uh <laughs> if if anyone saw the um oh, uh, the movie version of Sherlock Holmes, uh, yes. if you remember at the end of that of the second movie, he yeah. goes over the edge with Moriarty. Yep. That's actually how the last, the second to last book ends. Okay. So 10 years later, there's a gap. People want Sherlock to come back. Finally, Colin says, okay, here you go. And so I can't remember if they explain how Sherlock survived it, but he is alive and he is retired and he is a beekeeper. I think I saw at Barnes & Noble a big, thick book of all of... Sherlock Holmes adventures. They're like in the in public the domain. You I can, think I might. I've I've got one for uh, for Zoe. <laughs> you can download it on your Kindle or Kindle. I think I might. Life. You could also you find get one. That big book. You'd also probably find one at any half price books. Also, the uh, the scene where Sherlock reveals himself to John Watson when they're at dinner. That was just like <laughs> that was the greatest sequence. Well, and I just, I was cringing the whole time because I knew what, what Watson's reaction was oh, going to yeah. be. And then I guess anybody, you know, anybody would. But just, yeah, this amazing Sherlock Holmes is trying. He thinks he's going to be funny and clever. Right. And he thinks this is going to be like a big laugh. Yeah. And when the whole time it's like, you don't have any real grasp on human nature, do you? Because <laughs> yeah. this is not going to work out well for you emotionally. They, and, they got thrown out of the, the one restaurant and then they go to like a small smaller restaurant yeah. <laughs> and they get thrown out of that one because john attacks him again and then they're like in some little strip diner thing oh it's yeah just funny they're as in heck. a stand-up dive yeah at that yeah. point yeah so they start out at, at a, a four-star restaurant with linen napkins and, and everybody's wearing bow ties to yes to being in a basically a fast food joint basically at a long john silvers yeah. to standing outside at uh, what's what's the equivalent of a uh, a hot dog vendor on the street now brad uh, and i'm not even going to look at you when i say this brad but i'll look at you bill and brad uh, just don't don't make any facial comments to me but i think mary watson's um, fiance is not what she seems oh. john watson's john watson's fiance i like her you know, yeah. they're married in real life. Lot. Oh, really? That's Martin Freeman's real wife. Oh, really? Yeah, in real life. Um, and then the guy who plays Mycroft uh-huh. is actually Mark Gattis, who is co- is credited as like creator of the show and writer. Really? Yeah, That's Mark so, Gattis. Yeah. So, and apparently he and <laughs> Cumberbatch cool. have known each other for a very long time. 
because there was a picture of them when they were real young together. But, oh, um, wow. Yeah, he's the co-creator and, and, and co-writer of the show. So they darn near are brothers. Yeah, then. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Do that yourselves does... a favor, people. If you haven't, I think the first two seasons are on Netflix. Yes, yeah, they are. They are. And uh, yeah, it is Eight. just such a it's such a good show. And oh, you know what, people? Just I don't want to steal money from Netflix's pocket, but here's an idea: if you got if you can watch these things for free, okay, sign up for the one month free thing with Netflix. <laughs> watch those six episodes and then cancel before the bill comes due. You know what? An- another way, Bill, is but, if you have a Roku box, or you, you can, can steal them off the internet. Uh, you can get a, if you have a Roku box, you can get the PBS app. Oh. And uh, just watch them on there. They're all on there. Really? Yeah. That's cool. So that's how I've kind of been also watching Downton Abbey because there's a time conflict for me on Sundays. Oh. And so I have to choose what I want to record. So I've been watching Downton Abbey on PBS. I'm sorry. All the strength just flowed out of my body. <laughs> I've been Downton Abbey for, for a while now because she's she just seems kind of shady. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I've been Downton her a lot. Ow. This no? hurts. So, all right, we're going to wrap this episode up with a, a song from Frank. Yeah, okay. So I got a song. Uh, before I get that, let's do Boilerplate. Uh, you've been listening to a half hour waited, wasted, proud member of the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Send your questions and comments to halfhourwasted at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at halfhourwasted or leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. Until next week, I'm Brad. Hi there. And I'm Frank, and I'm going to leave you with a song that's just been getting a lot of radio play. It makes me happy. Huh, pun intended. Pharrell Williams, happy. <laughs> <laughs>